Hello, everyone. Glad you could join us today online as well as in person. And welcome to all the, the first-time visitors, as well as if, even if this is your one millionth time. Well, is that even possible? How long have we been here? <laughs> um, but we're, we are glad that you could join us today. It was a short week this week for, for many of us because of the holiday, the long weekend. So that meant all your work got squashed into four days instead of five. So I know many of you had a very busy week. Um, hopefully you had a nice long weekend. We had a lovely day on Sunday, um, last Sunday. And so um, for our, our family, we decided kind of at the last minute to go on um, a little mini, mini break to um, down to Mornington. And so on Sunday, we got to, we, Roy installed uh, bike rails on top of our car and he got all the bikes on there and we drove down to Port um, Napian Point and there's a fort at the end of it. So it's about five kilometer ride. So all, we biked. Um, I confess that I walked uphill most of the time because <laughs> the way to the fort, it's like all uphill. Um, and the way back, it was all downhill, which was a lot of fun. But it was, it was um, about five kilometers so it took us about 15 minutes. It wasn't a very long ride um, down. And, you know, it was a paved road. I had a bike with seven gears. I was wearing comfortable shoes. Um, all I was carrying was literally my phone because Roy had, the, you know, the backpack with all our water bottles and jumpers and all that. So it wasn't too bad, but I still went just a little bit. <laughs> Imagine biking without gears on an unpaved, rough terrain not five kilometers, but 500 kilometers from Adelaide. I know we have visitors from Adelaide today to Broken Hill, 500 kilometers of bike riding with a backpack full of books and without all the comforts of modern roads, right? You, we're talking about rough terrain. We stayed because it was, it was such a last minute booking. The only thing we could get was a motel in Frankston which lived up to its reputation, and we got our, um, we had brought all the bikes in, but even over then, overnight, someone had tampered with our bike rails on top of our car. So it wasn't a five-star hotel, but you know what? There were, there were beds, there was a toilet, a shower, even a little kitchenette. Imagine living for years in a tent, no running water or appliances, four children inside. Such was the life of Joseph and Julia Steed. That's the life that they chose many years ago because of their love for Jesus. We've been covering um, a, a series on the pioneers of those who came to Australia or, or who lived in Australia and helped start the movement um, that became the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Australia. And we've been using these uh, wonderful series by Amanda Buse that the um, Australian Union uh, discipleship ministry has has um, has worked to produce, and um, I, we started the series. You know, we looked at Katharina von Baren, um, who is the wife of Martin Luther, the reformer, and then we started this series and we talked about John and Julia Corliss. Do you remember this couple? They were the missionaries who came from America, came to Australia for the very first time, and were so discouraged. Remember, they said the weather is bleak, right? The people are bleak, and they were like. We're not going to start a church here. They were so discouraged. But remember how John one day when it was raining, which, by the way, later this afternoon is supposed to rain. Hopefully none of you get wet. But he was wet. He was miserable. He was grumpy. And he had spiked that last tract about Sabbath on the fence and walked away. But how God used that 
pamphlet that was stuck on the fence to, to have a printer look at it and invite John Corliss to speak at their debating society. And then like 17 people became Adventists. And from there, the first Seventh-day Adventist church in Australia started. Well, John Corliss, after, after that turning point in, in, in that ministry and then in that history, started pitching tents and um, preaching. And, and not only did he do that here in Melbourne, but he actually went to Adelaide. And when he was in uh, South Australia and, and preaching here in Adelaide, a series of sermons about Jesus and about the Sabbath, etc., the various teachings in the Bible that challenged and inspired people to revisit their traditional beliefs. And one of the member, uh, one of the attendees, rather, excuse me, who attended was a woman named Elizabeth Sample, and she was Julia Steed's midwife, and she was very impressed with the messages. And so she invited Julia to the series. Julia invited her husband, um, Joseph. And so then they um, went and attended these series. Julia was the first to embrace this new faith, and she was baptized on June 28, 1887. But Joseph, her husband, really struggled with the commitment. You see, him and his father ran a family business that was extremely successful. And so they, they were very comfortable, uh, very well off. And as you can imagine, you know, when you're in a business with your family, it's complicated. <laughs> and so he really struggled. He really struggled to um, commit, especially to keeping the Sabbath, which would mean he would have to, you know, close shops on Saturday and, and um, all the dynamics with the family. So he really struggled. But after a year of more Bible studies, more prayer, he finally made the decision to get baptized, and he was baptized in July of 1888. After about a year, he, he made the decision, I think it was very tough, you know, continuing the family business um, with his new growing commitment and, and desire to, to share Jesus, and so he made the difficult decision to leave the family business and become a corporator. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I shared what a corporator is. It, it's someone who basically, today we call them literature evangelists or LEs, and they're basically um, people who sell books about Jesus door to door. It's a tough job. And I know this because my dad was a corporator for eight years. So growing up, I moved every other year of my life. And so I was just telling Florian and Crystal this morning that Melbourne is the longest place I've ever lived in my whole life. <laughs> this is the most stability I've ever had in my whole life. You guys are my family. I ain't going anywhere. Um, and so growing up, I was at a new school every other year. And um, so I remember not only that, how difficult it was for my dad, right? Because going door to door, getting door slammed in your face, it was hard to pay the bills. Like we literally survived on prayer, um, and answers to prayer. And as a little girl, uh, my sister and I would sometimes help my dad on Sundays. We'd go out, you know, I was 12, 11, something like that, and we'd knock on the door, and if we're unlucky, we'd get cursed at, or dogs would, like, bark at us, which really scared me at the time. Um, but if we were lucky, right, they'd open the door and be like, what do you want? And we would say, we have these books. Would you like to have a look? <laughs> you know, and something that we did, you know, that my dad taught us before we knocked on these doors at the at the, be at the, at the beginning of each street, you know, because we go to a new neighborhood every time. Um, we pray. We pray, God, help us to meet someone today who needs these books about Jesus. And then we we would go out there and we would go door to door, um, getting the doors slammed in our faces. 
or people the worst was when people kind of try to ignore you like you can hear the tv you can you know there's people but they don't want you to come <laughs> so you're like do you knock again right um and so we did that and so i i know a little bit of of how tough it would have been for joseph steed to go out and do this not day after day not just week after week but years right riding his bicycle between adelaide and broken hill 500 kilometers and he did this trip multiple times because he would go out and he'd be gone for months at a time. Meanwhile, what was Julia doing? Well, whoop, go back. She's in that tent with her four children, the youngest who, of whom was born in that tent. No running water, right? No heat for the freezing nights. No air con for the, for the hot, uh, deserty kind of days in Broken Hill. And, and the reason why they were there was to reach the miners and, you know, you know Broken Hill and all the, all the history there um, to tell people about Jesus there. She was, she was alone most of the time for the years that they lived here because Joseph was out on his bicycle um, going door to door. They didn't have cell phones. She has no idea if he's even alive, where he's at. You know, she would get letters. But can you imagine how um, infrequent those would have been in that time? Julia was an amazing woman, and Ellen White, who's a key leader and founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, said of her that she was a woman of rare character. And indeed, I would agree with that statement. Once when a friend's son was really sick with a respiratory disease, um, one of Julia's own children had died of, of such a disease. So she knew, hey, this child needs medical help immediately. There was no hospital nearby. The nearest hospital was hundreds of kilometers away. And so she carried this child because um, that friend had 10 other children to take care of. So Julia took that little boy in her arms and carried her for, for five kilometers. She finally got to the main road and was exhausted and just prayed, God, please help me get this child to the Adelaide Hospital, which is so far away. And the only way she can get there is if she can get to the train station in time. The train comes once a week. And if she misses it, then this child is going to die. And so she prayed, God, please help me to get this child to the train station on time. And she's doing her best carrying this child, but there's no way she's going to make it. She prayed, and then a man came along who had a wagon hitched to the back. They put the child, she and the child got into the wagon, and he got them to the train station just in time for her, them to get that child on the train to the hospital. That child later grew up, Walter Scrag to become a pastor and conference president for 22 years in various conferences in Australia and New Zealand. He ended up getting married and having three children, one of whose children became the president of the South Pacific Division in 1984. So generations of people got saved because she saved this little boy's life. And that's why they did it, Joseph and Julia Steed. That's, that's why they made the sacrifices that they did. That's why they left a comfortable life you know, running a successful family business and having a comfortable social life, to being in the middle of nowhere in a tent, right, biking through 500 kilometers at a time. They did it all because of the joy of bringing people to life, to eternal life in Jesus and a life here of experiencing a relationship with him. They didn't just give a year or two. They gave their whole lives. In 1900, Joseph bought a pedal boat. And by pedal, I do mean the ones you pedal with your feet. Have you guys ever been on a pedal boat? 
um, over the New Year's Eve holiday, the New Year's holidays, we went to Geelong, and we went to this like adventure park, and they had this pedal boat on a lake, and the boys loved it. I hated it because you have to pedal so hard to go even a little bit. <laughs> it like hardly moves, right? I'm like ah, and um, I also hated it because Roy kept he was in the other boat with with Joshua, and he he would come and splash me, but. Um, so pedal boating, can you imagine? And we had a little pedal boat, just me and Micah sitting on the one thing. But can you imagine a big boat like that, pedaling that down the Murray River? Okay, him and his son. They, they named this boat the Herald, which means good news. And he and his son pedaled this down the Murray River, sharing Jesus along the way, at, along the towns with the captains of boats that they met, leading many, many people to Jesus. And so if you visit the Murray River, uh, the churches along the Murray River today, all those churches can trace their history back to Joseph Steed and his family. In January of 1911, the Steed family transferred to Victoria, where they conducted evangelistic series in Brunswick and in St. Kilda. So finally, in 1912, after 23 years of giving Bible studies and sharing his faith, Joseph was ordained as a minister in the Victorian Tasmanian Conference. But did they settle down and then, you know, have one church? Nope. Julia and Joseph then were sent to Samoa as their first missionaries. So first Seventh-day Adventist missionaries in Samoa, in the German parts of Samoa. So then there they shared Jesus. And so all the Samoan churches kind of came, again, the history of Joseph Steed. And the others who went there as well, and Julia. They also adopted a young girl there who later ended up receiving an Order of the British Empire Award for her services to education in Samoa. So again, think about all the impacts they had on just one person here, one person there, but every one of those one person impacted hundreds and thousands of people and generations of people. And their time in Samoa was not easy because in 1919, the Spanish influenza pandemic killed one out of three people in Samoa. Can you imagine? One out of three. Thousands of people died. And was that the end of their ministry? No, no. They then went to Fiji. <laughs> and they, they worked in Fiji for, for, the, for the work there. And then they went to New South Wales. And then he pastored um, churches in New South Wales. He continued to work until he finally died on February 23rd. 1938, Julia Steed died on June 12, 1947, and they're buried at the um, in the Avondale Cemetery in Kurumbong. So if you ever visit there, you can go and have a look at the cemetery and, and look at the tombstones of Julia and Joseph Steed. Amazing pioneers who sacrificed their entire lives to sharing Jesus. In Amanda Bue's book about them, she writes at the end, Joseph and Julia Steed could have chosen a comfortable life, working in a successful family business, but instead they left their life of luxury for a Hessian tent. It was through the influence of Joseph and Julia Steed that a fledgling church was able to take hold in this country. Without their influence, the flickering flame brought here by Corliss and his friends may well have spluttered out. They sacrificed for the gospel. What are you doing to fan the flame? What are we doing? You know, the truth is we're scared of sacrificing comfort. And I get it. I can't even camp in a tent for one week. Like, you guys all know I whinge about having to go to, you know, do that for, for uh, a week at a time here and there. We're scared of being rejected or, or ridiculed if we share our faith. 
And so we keep our Christianity and our faith in a box. That's kind of how I like to visualize it. It gets opened on the day, so we go to church. Or it gets opened privately, you know, when we're, when we're praying or reading our Bibles in, in the comfort and privacy of our homes. But we keep it shut when we go to work or when we're interacting with lots of people because we're scared of what will happen if we open that box. And I totally get it because when I meet new people here in Melbourne and, and you know, we're friendly, we're chatting, and then eventually when the co- topic of what we do comes out, I can't hide it because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and so then I share, yeah, I'm a church pastor. And it's hard because not everybody is always receptive to that, right? People are polite, but they may keep their distance. But something we've realized over the years is that, yes, strangers might, you know, not respond the best way, but not our friends. Those who already know us, those we've already established relationships with, they don't mind. In fact, you know, we've, we've, when we've had our uh, boys' baby dedications, when, we, when I got commissioned as a pastor, when Roy got ordained as a pastor, we invited our friends. We know they're atheists. We know they don't believe in God. And they might, I don't know what their opinions are of, of Christians, but we are friends with them. And when we invited them, they've come. Many of you have met our friends, right? When we've got, we have birthday parties for the boys, they come. And so I remember when they came to our church for the very first time for, I think it was Micah's baby dedication. And our friend who's like, she's got like two PhDs and she's a scientist and, you know, definitely doesn't believe in spiritual things. But after she came to our church and to Micah's baby dedication, she said, oh, wow, I understand, like, why church community is so great. Like, because she's not, she's from overseas as well. And she was like, you, you guys have a family here. You have, you have people here. And so she saw something that was good about our church. You know, that was the first time coming to, into a church probably um, in, in Australia. And so when it comes to sharing our faith, even though we're scared to share it with sometimes our loved ones the most, they're actually the ones that we can be most effective with because the strangers, they already have you know, preconceived ideas of Christianity, so they can shut the door in your face a lot easier. But the people that we have a relationship with, they trust us. They like us, right? And so when we share or they find out that we, we, when we open that box and we're willing to share, yeah, we do believe in God. Yeah, we do go to church. Um, yeah, they might not uh, understand or agree, but they won't reject you the way that sometimes we fear they will. And, you know, with our friends, the reason why they stay our friends is because they know that even though we believe in, in, in God and even though we're church pastors, they know we're not pushing Jesus onto them. We don't bring it up in conversation. They know that we don't judge people for believing differently. Um, we focus on the things we have in common. A lot of them, you know, we met because of our children. And so we talk about parenting. We talk about this and that. And we, and we build that bridge of connection. But at the same time, right, we don't hide why we do what we do. They know what drives us. They know why we're here in Melbourne. In fact, um, many times they ask us, how's your church going, right? They're interested in what's happening with us. They know that we need to move venues and they're all wishing the best for us, right? Can you imagine if before they met us, if they heard all oh, church, you know, is, it needs a new space, they might be like, okay, you know, they don't care. But because they know us, they care, right? And, and they might even be like, hey, I heard about this space. Like, can you imagine they're helping the cause, right? You never know what can happen. I, you know, um, I write sometimes for our church blog, and sometimes I post it on our Facebook. And even though I write for you all in mind, I know that who knows who's reading. 
And I remember being so surprised one day when um, one of my friends, I was catching up with her at a cafe, and we're just talking about something random. And then she said to me all of a sudden, she said, you know, I really like the values of your church. And I was like, how do you know the values of my church? I've never told you about the values of my church. And she said, well, I read your blogs. And I was like, you do? You know, never would I have thought that she would, but she does. And it's interesting because um, once I found that out, you know, now I really keep her and others like her in mind when I write these blogs. And I do make it a point to post them on my personal Facebook page um, because you just never know. In fact, the other day I posted about something and I noticed that one of Micah's school friend's moms liked it. And I thought, huh, interesting, right? And I know for sure she's not a Christian, but just it just puts it out there that, hey, we're not, they get to know, okay, this is what they believe. And, and when, when my friend had read my blog post and she put blog post and she saw something that resonated with her. And so she said to me, I, I, I like the values of your church. The fact that she even could tell that by something um, that was shared there. You just never know how the Holy Spirit is going to work in people's lives. You never know when, when one day they might ask you why you have peace in a world that is going crazy, why you can live with that bitterness in a world that's very hurtful, why you choose to sacrifice your time and your money and your efforts, why you come here on a Saturday instead of sleeping in, right? In a world of self-gratification, why you choose to serve. One day they might ask you questions because their hearts too are seeking something that nothing in this world can satisfy. Especially when your friends are going through a crisis in their lives. They might come to you for, for, for the reason to, to keep going. You know, they might come to you for that, for that peace and for that um, comfort that this world really honestly cannot give. Their souls too may be longing to be fully known yet fully loved. And so here are just a few things simple ways that you can actually share your faith the first is to pray for your friends you know how many of you actually pray for your friends you know we we like to pray for each other but make a list of all your secular friends and your colleagues and pray for them name by name and and specifically right pray for their physical needs their emotional needs their relational needs and spiritual needs and just pray for god to bless them and if appropriate, and when the time is appropriate, you can let them know you're praying for them. You know, of course, you don't have to do that at the beginning. My sister's um, best friend in uni was an atheist, and whenever she would say, share something that was stressful to her, my sister would say, I'm going to pray for you. And at first, she was a bit dismissive, like, whatever, you know. <laughs> but the day came years later when she called my sister up and said, you know, after they graduated, Oh, I'm really stressed about this. Can you pray for me about that? And it doesn't mean that she necessarily gave her life to Jesus, but the fact that she came to a place where she believed in the power of prayer. And so make that prayer list and pray for your friends. At the same time, pray for, pray for and make opportunities for your friends to meet your church community. Like I said, sometimes we carry that box and we, we have it very, very tightly shut and we're afraid of the two worlds colliding, you know. But open up that box just a little bit, you know. And one of the best ways to do that is if you host something, right? It's your birthday or it's your wedding or it's, you know, your celebration, right? You host and then you have control of who you invite to that. Invite some of your secular friends. Invite some of us. We're, we don't bite too much, right? Some of us, some of us can, can be good company. <laughs> and so if you invite, you know, some of us and, and you let us meet, it actually 
gives that person one other Christian who is not crazy, right? Or who isn't all that they imagine Christians to be, right? And who knows, we might actually get along. I've actually met, thanks to some of you, friends through you that are now my friends um, and that I get to hang out with um, without you. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's actually really nice because, you know, they know that I'm a pastor, but they don't mind, you know, and, and um, you just never know. I've had someone call me one time in the middle of the night. It was two in the morning. They were having a panic attack and they called me because they knew that I'm a pastor and I met that person through someone here. Um, and so you just never know. Invite them to a church social because a church social, you know, we're not like doing a Bible study where if we're having barefoot bowling or a movie night, bring them along. Right. Um, and, and trivia night or wh whatever it is. Um, and we'll, we'll let you know we're, we're now that, lockdown and all that has simmered down we we are actually starting to schedule those things and so we'll let you know when those things happen invite them to when we go out to hand out things to homeless you know and they, they might want to help out and do something good um on the weekend so next um next week or whenever we do it next we're going to be doing homeless outreach every kind of six weeks and so you'll have opportunities also in the vic markets on friday nights there's a whole bunch of um organizations that that uh, hand out food and other things for the homeless. And I know Daniel goes faithfully. Every Friday, do you go? Saturday? Or which? Oh, it's Sunday now. Oh, it's changed. Okay. Well, you can talk to Daniel. He can let you know about about that. And so there's so many different ways to to um, invite. And I know at one point, Shendon uh, was telling his hairdresser about it, and his hairdresser came and cut the homeless hair. And, you know, you just people want to get involved um, and, help, and help out in different ways. And so the network of people who get to meet, you know, one, two, three Christians, as that grows, their perception of Christians change. Their perception, perception of Christianity grows from kind of that more, this is what, you know, media says about them, or this is what I think about them, or this is what, you know, because we all have that perceptions of the other when we don't really know people, right? But as they get to know us as individuals, they realize, oh, there are Christians who believe in climate change there are christians who um are not you know um hateful towards others there are christians who are not you know storming the capital with the cross right like th there are people uh, it changes people's perceptions right one person at a time the more christians they meet right the more opportunity they have to expand and challenge their worldview as well in a non-confronting way it might take years and even a lifetime but keep praying, keep making those opportunities. You know, most of my life, I didn't have a Christian community. Like I said, I moved every other year, so that was one thing. But I went to public schools my whole life, from kindergarten to university. And I went to church every Saturday, but I didn't always gel with the kids at my church. We didn't always have things in common. And so my friends, my best friends, were always from my school, and so they weren't Christians. And so, you know, growing up most of my life, most of my friends weren't Christian. And um, I didn't always talk about Jesus, but they all knew that my faith was important to me because whenever they invited me to parties or things on Friday night to Saturday night, I would tell them that I, I couldn't because I, uh, that was my special time set aside for God and my church community. And at first they'd be like, you can miss once. But as, but as I stayed consistent, they, they learned that I cared about them but that God came first. Sometimes they even changed the dates to accommodate me, which I really appreciated. 
And I prayed for opportunities to share. My parents, you know, they would always, in the mornings, we would have family worship, and we would pray for our friends. We'd pray for opportunities to share. And um, I remember when my high school graduation came, and, and I've told this story uh, before. Some of you already know. But when it was time for my high school graduation, it, was, it fell on a Saturday morning. And I was one of the valedictorians, and I had gone to the school and asked, you know, would you be willing to change the day? And they said no. <laughs> and so I was, all right, okay. Then um, I made the decision not to attend. And my sister had been valedictorian the year before, and she had made the same decision. So I knew it was coming the year before. I was like, if I'm valedictorian, I have to make that choice. I, 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 um, I knew it was coming. And it, and it happened. And it was customary for the local newspaper to come and write up features about the various schools and the valedictorians of the schools. So I knew that this was an opportunity. So, you know, the journalist asked questions, and I, and, um, I answered them, and then she was wrapping up, and I said to her, by the way, I'm not going to be at graduation. And she was like, what? Why not? And I told her, because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and I keep the Sabbath, and for me, I, you know, graduation is a symbol. Uh, it's a symbol of, you know, an achievement of, of school, but for me, I know that where I am where I am because of God. It's not because I'm smarter than everybody else. It's not because I worked harder than anyone else. I know that I am where I am because God has blessed me and helped me. And, um, and so I told, him, I, t I told her that on Sabbath, I'm going to go to church and honor and worship the God who has, has brought me this far in my life. And she was, of course, very surprised. And I wasn't sure if she would mention that in the article or not, but I put it out there. And the next morning when the article came out, in the local newspaper, she had quoted me almost verbatim about what I said. And, you know, it, 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 it was, and of course, I was like, oh, wow, now everyone's going to read it. Everyone's going to know, right? And, you know, people knew, other, most of my friends knew that I was Christian, but now this is going out to the whole city, right? And sure enough, when I got to school, people, people mentioned it and brought it up. And one of the students in my class, I wasn't really good friends with her. Like she was, I knew who she was. She came up to me, and she was a Christian, and she came up to me, and she said, can you tell me more about the Sabbath? So then after school, we sat down, and we had a Bible study. And I showed her all the Bible texts about the Seventh-day Sabbath. And um, when the graduation day came, you know, while my friends were putting on their caps and gowns, I put on my church clothes, and I went to church. And then later that evening, um, the city like held a celebration for all the high school graduates in the city. There were two two high schools, and um, you know it was after sunset, so I was happy to go. I took my plus on my sister, and we went. And you know it was great. We did bowling, and you know we had a lot of fun. And one of the things that they had at the end of the evening was um, they had the raffle prizes, and there were about six hundred people there, uh, students who graduated, and um, they had about. I don't know, like 50 prizes ranging from like a fish tank. They were like, because in uni, uh, in America, we go off to uni. We leave home. As you know, we, we all go to dormitories. So there were, you know, fish tank if you want a little pet, you know, to all the way to like gift cards to their equivalent of office works or things like that. But one of the things that they had was like the grand prize was an IBM ThinkPad. Now, I mentioned my dad was a corporator, right? So we were poor. <laughs> we had no money. And so, and I believe that that's why God enabled us to, to get a full, full scholarship to Princeton and everything that we needed. And so one thing I needed was I had a full ride to uni, but I still need stuff, like a laptop. We, we didn't have money for a laptop. So I turned to my plus one, my sister, and I said, let's pray. And so we prayed, God, 
I pray, God, thank you for my laptop. Whether it's now or later, I know you'll provide, so thank you for the laptop. And my friend, my atheist friend, was sitting, Irene, was sitting next to me, and she heard the prayer. And so, you know, we whispered it, but, you know, she heard it. So, I, I uh, you know, the, they're announcing the raffle winners and um, going through. And I was like, you know what? There are 60 prizes. There's like 600 of us. One out of 10. That's a pretty good chance of getting something. I'll be happy with the fish tank, you know? Um, and so um, we waited, 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 waited. Lots of names being called. And finally, they called out the number. And then, and then you don't know what you got because they just call out the number of the prize and, the, and then your name. They called out the number. They called out my name. I'm like, yeah, I got something. So then um, I go up to claim my prize, and the lady turned to me and said, you lucky girl, you got the IBM ThinkPad. And as I walked, like danced back to my seat, you know, clutching and cherishing my precious IBM ThinkPad, which in 2001 was like awesome, the IBM ThinkPad, um, my friend Irene, my atheist friend, turned to me and said, I think God gave you that gift because you honored him this morning. And it was, for me, more than the laptop. Sorry, I always cry at these sermons because um, I always talk about something personal. But like, more than the laptop, hearing that from my friend was the greatest gift that day. She later became a Christian. You never know how God is going to work. One of my other high school friends I had lost in touch with for many, many years. And one day out of the blue, thanks to Facebook, she messaged me. Um, and I hadn't talked to her for over 10 years. And I was here in Australia. She's in America. And she just messaged me saying she was going through a divorce. And um, would I pray for her? You just never know how the fact that you share that you believe in God, the fact that you have a peace, that you have a purpose, right? That you believe in something greater than what this world offers, which often doesn't satisfy and leaves you empty, right? You never know how someday they're going to register and keep in their mind that you have something that is special. And you never know when they're going to reach out to you and say, can you tell me more? Can you tell me more? So pray for your friends. Make opportunities for your, your friends to meet more of those people in their lives. But be consistent in your faith and life. Open up that box, right, from time to time. Be consistent. Sometimes we're scared to share because we don't know what to say. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the Bible knowledge. We don't know the Bible history, so we're, we're scared. But it's okay not to know everything. I don't know everything. You know, and if your friends wanted to know stuff, guess what? They can Google it. The reason why they're asking you is not because they want, want the, the facts or the history or the doctrinal study. It's because they want to know you, why you believe, because they trust you, because they have a personal relationship with you. They want to hear what it is that you personally find attractive and meaningful about being a Christian. So just share what's on your heart, right? Just share your story. You don't have to give them, you know, um, a point-by-point point study of the 28 doctrines, right? You don't have to give apologetic studies. I mean, it's good to know these things for yourself, right? But that's not why they're asking you. That's not why they're coming to you. They want to know what it is that you have experienced yourself. One day when Jesus was talking to a woman at a well in Samaria, he showed her that he understood her heart. He showed that he knew that she had this hunger in her heart to, for unconditional love and acceptance, and he gave it to her. 
And then she went out. And the Bible verse says, many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, not because of her theological explanation, not because of her, you know, debate. It, it, it just says, because of her testimony, he told me everything I ever did. She just shared her story. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves that we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That's in John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. Your personal story of what Jesus means to you, what Jesus has done for you, is what's going to compel your friends and your family who trust you to be curious for themselves. Then you can invite them to meet Jesus for themselves. Then you can in, you know, say, well, you know what? I know come, if you want to know more than what I've shared, then come to my church. Right? And then we can, with you, uh, share those Bible studies and, 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 and share the finer points. But it all just starts with you being willing to share. And so pray for your friends. Make opportunities you know, for your friends to meet your church community. Make opportunities for you to share if, if when the time is right. Be consistent in your faith and life, right? Be honest and be loyal. Be a good friend. <laughs> not, not for the sake of an agenda, but just be a good friend. And, 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 um, and the opportunities will open up. Because when you become close to somebody, these questions do come up eventually. Commit to learning more. Commit to learning more. From the Bible, right? From spiritual mentors, from books, from podcasts and videos. There's so many resources out there. We actually have so much at our fingertips now, more than ever. And so commit to learning. Commit to learning. We will be doing a series this year on, on apologetics, on some of the common questions and how to answer them. So we will try to equip you with that as well. But it all really starts with that prayer and willingness to share from that genuine place of believing that what we have is worth sharing. You know when there's a really good restaurant or an awesome deal, we are not shy about sharing those, right? We're like, hey, check this out. So if we're really excited about Jesus, if we really believe that what we have is special, then it's time to open that box. It's time to be his ambassadors. It's time to, to actually believe that what we have is a blessing to others, will be a blessing to others. I believe that the lives of Joseph and Julia's deed were not wasted but that their legacy should be carried on. Do you believe that? In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, Paul, you know, one of the first Christian missionaries who himself lived in a tent, and he was a tent maker, and he traveled around, you know, that part of Europe and Asia Minor and Turkey and all those areas that then started churches and became the Christian movement that has become the millions today. He said this in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Who bring good news. God has placed people in your life that only you can reach. If I were to go and try to talk to them, they would shut the door in my face because I don't have a relationship with them. 
but God has placed people in your life to whom you can be that person they trust, the person that they, one day if they want to ask questions, you're there for. And so pray for them, make those opportunities, be a good friend, be consistent in opening up your faith and being who you are as a Christian, sharing your values and your worldview and your hope and your peace and your love and forgiveness. And I pray that as a result, right, we look, you look at Ju- Joseph and Juliet Seed and the other pioneers, you know, even if they had just impacted that one little boy, you know, Juliet saved that one little boy's life and it left generations of blessings. Even if we just reach one person in your life, you know, can you think of, have you brought one person to Jesus? If Even if you just bring one person to Jesus by the end of your life, you'd have done an amazing thing because that one person will lead to generations as well. And so I pray and hope that each one of us can, can experience the joy of leading someone to eternal life. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though you could send a horde of angels to just share the message, instead you have sent us because there's something about that personal relationship with each other that enables the gospel to be lived out and heard. And that's why you came. You came as a human being and to relate with us and to show us that it's through that personal connection that we can be influential. And so, Father, we pray for the courage to open up and and blend our worlds of the secular and, and the spiritual. We pray for the conviction to believe that what we have is worth sharing. And we pray for the opportunities to, when they come up, Father, to be wise and to be... Um, to be able to share our stories in a way that leaves people wanting more, leaves people wanting you. And we pray, Father, that as a result, more people would experience the peace and the love and the hope that we can find in you. And so, Father, we pray um, for that shift to happen in our hearts so that every single person in this room, before you come back or before we die, would be able to lead at least one soul to Jesus. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.